You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hello, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the show. It is Friday the 6th of May. It's Kentucky Oaks Day, uh, Derby Day tomorrow, more Derby news, views, and some cracking interviews later in this podcast. But this is a specially updated edition of today's show. You may have already listened to us once uh, because some breaking news has just come through from the UK. Uh, as regards the horse we were talking about quite extensively earlier on, Luxembourg, the the Derby favourite. Uh, Lydia is back with me. Lydia, what are we saying? Um, Aidan O'Brien has revealed today that the Derby favourite Luxembourg has had a setback and it's unclear whether he'll be ready in time for the Derby at Epsom. Uh, Aidan O'Brien has said Luxembourg was a little bit off after his canter this morning. He was a little lame on his off time. They're going to keep everybody updated as to uh, the uh, recovery from that and whether or not he'll be able to make the first Saturday in June. Yeah, so earlier on I posed the question, do you think Ryan Moore would have any, <laughs> any agonising to do about which his derby ride would be? Well, it might be taken out of his hands. Yes, events do, boy, events. <laughs> um, and the, the horse that won at Chester, uh, changing of the guard, we were being quite complimentary about him. Uh, is his price already shortening in the market? I suppose it is. Uh, a little, yeah, as the bookmakers are starting to react. Uh, Walk of Stars is uh, for Charlie Appleby, who's got um, an entry in the Dante and also in the Lingfield Derby trial. He's odds on for the for the Derby trial. Um, so you'd imagine he, that's 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 where he's headed unless anything happens between then and now and then. And, and given what's happened between the time of recording of the first book podcast this morning, the second one, events can happen. But he's he's shortened up as well. And also, um, Sir Michael Stout once raced um, Nathaniel Colt. Desert Crown has also uh, preemptively shortened in, in some markets. He was a wide margin winner of a Nottingham Maiden um, last season, towards the back end of last season. He has a Dante entry as well as Derby and King Edward the seventh entries. Okay, and just looking at that Derby trial at Lingfield, again, it's a sort of Godolphin Coolmore showdown, really. Aidan O'Brien's putting United Nations in there um, between Appleby's two Walk of Stars and Natural World. It's worth remembering that Adar was beaten in the, in the Derby trial last year. I mean, I don't think there's any suggestion that United Nations is amongst the, the, the better of the, 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 the Coolmore horses, fourth in the Blue Ribbon at, at Epsom. No, um, he wasn't best position that day. Of course, he was running at the time of the season when we would be expecting Aidan O'Brien horses to be garnering experience and moving towards better things. So I think we can anticipate him taking a large step forward, but uh, clearly he's going to need to. And similar comments could easily apply to either Walk of Stars or Natural World for Charlie Appleby, who are as lightly raced, or in the case of Natural World, much more lightly raced than the United Nations. All right, brilliant. Lydia, thanks so much for um, hopping on again. Um, a little earlier on, Lydia was with me and we talked a little about uh, Chester's May Festival and the, the merits of uh, the horse we were just speaking about a few moments ago, Changing of the Guard. 
I did like the way Changing the Guard did it in the chest of ours. I think clearly he was able to control the race. He looked nippier and more able to deal with Chester than New London did. Um, he came into it with quite a big reputation, even though it was sort of garnered in relatively shallow waters at uh, Newmarket's Craven meeting. Um, and he, he just looked a bit more naive, a bit less nippy, a bit l less comfortable with the track than than the winner. And there's plenty of speed down the damn side of the um, of changing the guard's pedigree, um, but he did seem to see out the trip really well. So um, that looked like a, a decent performance. Now, is it fair to say that Charlie Appleby now needs a horse to step forward and step forward quite significantly to have a, a really big chance of, of adding another derby to his already very impressive portfolio in recent years? I think that is fair. Yeah, I, I do. I do think that's fair. Um, uh, New London um, looks as though he's he's not not the one. Certainly in the short term. I mean, he's going to have to take another step forward. He probably will. Uh, as I said, I, I felt that he still looked a bit raw. Um, so yeah, I think think Charlie. I mean, he's got a number of them, hasn't he? We've got the Lingfield Derby trial coming up. We've got the um, Dante. You know, there are some opportunities for um, a hitherto uh, lightly raced uh, Godolphin horse to step forward. So that'll be interesting. Um, it, I mean, it, it, the 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 um, theme of Chester, as it quite often is, well, from sort of Guinea's Weekend onwards, is that the, uh, you know, Aidan O'Brien's team really get motoring. And, you know, you saw that in terms of how much forward Star of India has come on compared to his fifth in the Craven. His win in the D yesterday was with a, you know, looked a little bit lazy in the early stages, but had a really determined head carriage late on that sort of shows the, the trajectory that the momentum of the um, Aidan O'Brien yard now I think. Uh, and when you as we've seen over the years when you start cranking up the progeny of Galileo they will run for you and that and that's been such a key to Aidan O'Brien's success hasn't it the willingness of, of his progeny just to keep rolling. Yes, absolutely, and the, and and the de the determinants and the way that they build. I mean, he, that, that's I mean, for for many 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 seasons now, that has been how he he has trained to sort of start getting rolling from last weekend onwards. And on that theme, of course, we saw a, a really resolute performance in the Cheshire Oaks. Jonathan and I had a a quick chat about it yesterday. We've both gone back and had a another look. What's your what's your view on whether that can have an impact on the on the Epsom equivalent? I think it can do. Uh, I thought thoughts of uh, of June controlled the race to a, a very very large degree and put above the curve on the back foot. There was some scrimmaging at the first bend that thoughts of June brushed off and above the curve sort of settled in behind that. I thought above the curve shaped really well, like the best filly in the race, and uh, she will be interesting going forward. I mean, neither pedigree necessarily um, thoroughly screens Oaks, not not in the way say that Emily Upjohns does. I mean, that just really does. Um, but they seem to both stay very thoroughly so you would think that there'd be players I mean certainly you look at that market and you wonder why Tuesday well I wonder why Tuesday is um, joint favourite around about four to one best you know uh, to me when she ran really well when third in, in the Guineas she shaped like more like a mile or maybe maximum ten furlongs I mean I know her full sister Minding won the Oaks but also her other full sister Empress Josephine um, it was typical about some of the some of the other horses in in the family who were milers and she won the the Irish Guineas. So I, I wonder whether Tuesday tends in the other direction and that there will be other fillies at Ballydoyle who are more likely to be Oaks types. And we've got three or four John Gosden potential Oaks fillies as well. Yeah. I mean, the Emily Upjohn looks the most exciting of that 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 maiden at Sandown's already taking a couple of significant form boosts and she absolutely 
pulverise them. Um, it I, should I, be my idea at the moment, I think. Me too, me too. I really, really like that performance. I'm encouraged by the fact that the, the form seems to be to be working out because you, you wonder sometimes with that race whether um, you know the, the, the quality of the horses in behind might be up to snuff, but it does seem to be as though uh, Emily Upjohn is. And, you know, the, again, the concern when you look at her pedigree, um, you know, with so many derby winners listed across it, um, you'd be thinking, well, is she actually going to be quick enough to sort of match the look of that? But she looked at, um, at Sandan, certainly, and she seems to move beautifully. So, yeah, I, she's my idea as well. It's not original, uh, but she made a huge impression, impression at Sandan. And the speed at which trainers crank up their horses for the season, it, it, it's extraordinarily predictable, isn't it? I mean, you mentioned Aidan O'Brien getting going now, Guineas weekend and now. We, we, we'll surely expect John Gosden to really start hitting a purple patch, John and Thady Gosden, very shortly. We know that you know, neither Inspiral nor Reach for Their Moon have made their, their early season targets because they simply won't rush in the spring. Yes, I mean, those are two, I would say, significant setbacks, aren't they, in the early part of the season for them, because those were horses that they would dearly have wanted to get to those early season targets, and 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 they haven't been able to get them there. Clearly, they, they know it's a long season, they know that there are there are other targets and there is time to recover. But yeah, I think, I think, you know, they, they do need now to be to be rolling forward. I wanted to uh, get your take on this week's events in um, racing's equivalent of Westminster. Uh, <laughs> I, it's been a, it's been a, an intriguing one, even by well, I don't know, intriguing or exhausting, depending exhausting on exhausting to exhausting. exhausting to some degree. Yeah, I suppose if you if you just landed from Mars, it might be intriguing. I guess to <laughs> us, it's it's exhausting. Is there anything different here? Are the um, mechanics of it uh, in any way new? I suppose at long last, Jockey Club racecourses are taking a step forward and showing some leadership in this area. Quite how uh, reducing fixtures fits in with their ambitions to have an all-weather track at Newmarket, they would need to to spell out. And obviously Martin Criddus from ARC has, has pointed that out. But um, essentially, I think anyone... can. If we, take, we all take a step back and have a look at, at where, where British racing is... I think we have to be concerned that it's a race to the bottom. And I don't think you need to uh, exhaustively evident, evidence this, t- to be honest. And also the evidence, to, to a large degree, will be self-fulfilling anyway, in that we, we know that we do have an a- excess of, um, of lower-class horses, as is right in the pyramid, but the pyramid has become, become distorted. And if we are going to keep races based on the horses that we have here, then we are in a race to the bottom. So I was really pleased to see Jockey Club racecourses step forward and show some leadership in this area. Um, and I think it's an important thing to point out. I mean, this week, rather interestingly, um, in Ireland, the High Court has ruled um, that horse racing is a sport rather than an industry. And over there, that um, has opened the way for organisations to claim the charitable tax exemption for sporting bodies. But I think the principle is more important here. If we are only going to run racing as an industry, well, then, yeah, the only thing that's important is maximising profits. But no, horse racing is a sport and that requires 
uh, elite athletes taking each other on. And we need to remember that because if we're going to remain um, a sport in that in those terms, as in you know globally relevant with elite athletes racing and performing here, uh, being bred here, being trained here, being raced here, and, and then potentially campaigning around the world, but also campaigning here, then we have to bear in mind that it is the the top end that delivers those elite athletes, and so. That's, that's the really important thing. We, horse racing is a sport. It's not just an industry. If it, was just, if it was only about the bottom line, it would be a very different thing. And the, the problem is that if you're just looking at the bottom line, then you will be tending towards the bottom. Whereas if you're thinking about remaining, uh, remaining a globally elite sport and what sport is about, the fundamental point of why we all are interested in this, then you'll be tending towards the top. So it's interesting that Jogging Club Race Courses have, have stepped forward. I think it's about time that they did. I'd, I, I hope that the large independents follow. We've got broad support amongst the horsemen. I know that they are there are different types of horsemen with the different types of business model in the same way that there are different types of race courses with different types of business models there. But I think broadly, it seems that the horsemen, um, maybe not the owners, but certainly the trainers are of the view that there is, that there needs to be um, some sort of um, culling, some sort of cutting our cloth better, making sure that we're thinking about what the sport looks like in the long term, rather than just for short term gain. Well, if you were listening to the podcast this time 12 months ago, you'll remember I spoke to the Houston furniture magnate Jim Mattress MacMackingvale uh, about his plans for an audacious huge bet on the Kentucky Derby as a hedge on a giveaway for customers if the favorite won. Uh, Essential Quality was the horse last year, and that was the horse that Mac bet. It was actually a fairly straightforward decision which horse to go with and, and how much to go in with. But I think, Mac, you're, you're raising the stakes this year, aren't you? You're, you're upping the ante a little. We are upping the ante, uh, Nick, both in the amount of the wager. Uh, we're punting more this year, and we're also uh, more undecided on who the favorite's going to be. So that should be quite intriguing going down to the opening bell when the horses come out of the starting gate. So what first gave you the idea to do something like this? I wanted to do something with horse racing. I do a lot of these uh, furniture-free promotions with sports betting like basketball, football, baseball. And the only event that had a liquid enough pool would be the Kentucky Derby. So I got involved with people at Churchill Downs last year, paid for the uh, trademark and did the promotion last year. went very well, so I decided to do it again this year. And this year has been bigger bigger and better than last year, so we're very happy with the amount of furniture sales and hoping that the favorite wins the Kentucky Derby and hoping most of all that I pick the horse that's the favorite when I bet my two to four million dollars. So this is the idea. Okay, so people get a massive discount in your in your store if the favorite wins the Kentucky Derby and you've got to try and hedge. Obviously the danger of that this year with such a contentious field and I wouldn't know who's going to start favorite definitively 48 hours from the race is that if you go in however late you go in you suddenly land on say a seven to two second choice and the three to one narrow favorite wins then mattress max never going to be in trouble but it's not ideal mattress max devastated on both ends if that happens that's why i'm going to watch those uh win win pools on the kentucky derby very closely right up to uh uh it looks like it maybe i'll be betting a. Uh, quite a bit a minute before the post to uh, 
secure the post-time favorite. So that's the game plan going in. It should be very exciting. It should be a great race, a lot of good horses, and looking very much forward to the 140th Kentucky Derby this coming Saturday. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's the point. So last year, uh, even with the amount of money that, that you staked, it, essential quality would still have been favorite. Your money wasn't quite enough to actually force favoritism in its entirety. This year, do you feel more confident that you could actually, if you leave it late enough, fully influence who goes off the market leader and ensure you're in a no-lose position? Uh, I absolutely hope so. You know, I also hope that the uh, there's two or three horses bunched up from four or five to one and my bet will only bring it down probably a, a you know half half to three and a half to one because the more money i get back on this wager if the favorite does win then the better off that uh, i do and the more customers get paid back so that's what we're looking for is uh uh maybe three horses uh in contention for favoritism a half an hour before the race and my big bet of two or three million dollars decides who the favorite's going to be now clearly this is a brilliant bit of business promotion but to what extent are you getting a kick out of this because it's the derby because it's horse racing because of your kind of commitment to the sport i'm very committed to horse racing that's why i bet all my money on the ground at churchill downs so the money goes back to the kentucky horseman quite a bit of it does I'm a very much of a Kentucky horseman. I have 40 thoroughbreds in training at the Kentucky Training Center in Lexington. My horse, Run Happy, is the sire of the great Smile Happy, who's running in the Kentucky Derby. And uh, so I'm pulling for the favorite and also for Smile Happy to end this 148th Kentucky Derby in a dead heat. Yeah, I was going to say. So if, if the favorite, the unnamed as yet favorite, be it Zandon or Epicenter, whoever it's going to be, and Smile Happy bit of an outsider at this stage, hook up with a furlong to run, Mac. Who are you going to be cheering for? That's a tough question. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, I'll probably be cheering for Smile Happy because uh, my daughter and myself and our entire family is so invested in Run Happy. It would be great to see him have a Kentucky Derby winner, but at the same time, be very hard to pull against our great customers. So I'd really be pulling for a dead heat, the first in Kentucky Derby history. That would be quite the story. The heart and the head going hammer and tongs. Well, it's been such an eventful Kentucky Derby the last three years. You wouldn't bet against something completely crazy happening. I must ask you from a, a, your standpoint, someone who's still so immersed in the sport, racing horses, breeding horses, um, you, you pulling off ventures like this, uh, are, are you still captivated by it? You know, notwithstanding all the all the kind of negativity that's been surrounding it the last few years. Yeah, horse racing is still a beautiful game. These are still magnificent animals. Uh, these wonderful athletes, jockeys on on their back going thirty five to forty miles an hour. It's a wonderful game. Yes, we humans tend to muck it up, but. I think we can clean it up and make it make it a bigger and better game for everybody. And I do like the idea one of these days of fixed odd wagering like they do in Australia. I think that would bring a lot more people to the game. Several of the customers asked me this week, what's the odds? And they were thinking about sports betting where the odds for the Super Bowl are out two weeks before and then the uh the point spread may change a little bit but not a whole lot so uh if we can get to fixed odd wagering along with Perry Mutual that would be a big boost I believe to US horse racing. And are you going to be a little bit more inventive this year as well? Can you see yourself adding some exotic wagering into the mix just to spice it up a bit and try and make your edge greater? Yeah, I, I, I'm always looking for something I can get a futures bet on. A futures bet gives me much higher odds and uh, a whole lot less cost on the promotion. So last year I did a huge futures bet on the Houston Astros at uh, 30 to 1. I think I know it. 
15 to 1, and I bet $3 million. So I had, if the Astros would have won the World Series last year, the customers were invested about $30 million, but I would have made an extra $15 million on that bet, but it didn't work out. Well, I think there's an awful lot of people, um, particularly those who are in need of some um, fresh bedding solutions that will be hoping that your betting solution provides them with just that. Mac, thanks so much for your time. Nick, nice to talk to you, and we'll see you at the 148th Kentucky Derby. Thank you. Well, it's the sort of year where nothing would completely stagger you in the Kentucky Derby, and so many connections go there with the dream very much alive. One of those is uh, Bill Simon, the former president and CEO of, of Walmart, uh, who has de dedicated a significant portion of his uh, leisure time in the last few years to building up a, a small but select string of, uh, of thoroughbreds. Uh, Bill, for you, uh, just, just how big a day is this on Saturday? Oh, it's a huge day. It's, it's, the, it's the pinnacle of this business. And, uh, you know, our family has put together a, a real nice small business that's focused around us, and we're just thrilled to be here. And what gave you the idea to, to, to invest a little in, in, in thoroughbred racing? Had it always been a passion for you? No, not really. It's something that, uh, as I retired from Walmart, my wife and I wanted to start a business together, and she was, she was always the, the lover of the animals, and I, and I got very interested in the numbers. You know, I spent my life in P&Ls and spreadsheets, and now I spend them in uh, racing forms and pedigrees. And how quickly did you feel that you'd sort of established a good handle on the game? Because there are those that say, oh, well, if you weren't born and bred in it, if you haven't done it since the, since the cradle, you don't really know. I'm not sure I ever, ever agree with that. I'd, I'd say someone of your experience and expertise got to grips with it pretty quickly. Well, I, I you know, went through great effort to find really talented, capable honest, um, trustworthy young people to, to learn from. Um, I've got a really phenomenal young trainer in John Ortiz, who I have no doubt will be in the Racing Hall of Fame one day. Uh, I use a bloodstock agent named Jared Hughes, who, again, another really fine young person with integrity and a great eye for horses, who helps me with the purchases. And we're even using a, a first-time jockey, Ray Luke Gutierrez, um, because you know I think it's time to start helping some of these smaller guys. And that's really what, one of the things that's been exciting to my life and I. And was that a philosophy that informed your, your business life as well? Did you, did you like employing young, up-and-coming people? The thing I got most the joy most joy out of, and even when I was at Walmart, was watching the development of people that, that I worked with, and spending time doing that was something that I I, I really often uh, often focused on, and I we just decided to carry that over into our horse racing business. We have a lot of international listeners to this to this podcast. Um, just explain how how Barber Road was named and and why it's got such special significance to your family. Well, you know, we started buying weanlings, which are very young, four-month-old horses, uh, gosh, a few years ago when, when Barber Road was just, just a, you know, two years ago. And we're building our business model by buying younger horses and spending the time developing them um, and watching them grow. And we, we you know, my wife's uh, mom and dad are uh, in their mid-80s and, you know, their health is still good, thankfully, but they're not able to travel much and so we wanted to name a horse so that they could follow so we named the horse barber road which is the road that uh they live on and very small town and in, in the farming country of north carolina uh with barber road happens to be named after my wife's grandfather a gentleman named clarence barber um so it's a lot of significance for them and in that small town of seven springs north carolina there'll be about 100 people gathered on the farm under a tent watching barber road from barber road 
I shudder to think. I shudder to think what that tent might be like if uh, if Barbara Road gets down inside the distance with a with a little bit of a shout. You must have played this race through in your mind a few times, Bill. Um, what do you see in your mind's eye? I've played it a million times, and it always comes out the same way. So we're, <laughs> we're very optimistic. Um, he is a battler. It's, it's sort of significant because that, that, you know, gritty farm country that he's named after, he's that type of a horse. He battles. He fights. If you watch his replay, he bumps. He finds a little hole. He runs through, and he never, ever, ever quits. He's, he's never gotten tired. And the longer distance of Churchill Downs and the Kentucky Derby and a longer straightaway uh, at, at, at the racetrack all really bode well for him. And he'll be coming at the end. And I know that I know that to be a fact. It will be very exciting for all of us. This, of course, is the greatest two minutes in, in sport. And I maintain it's still the greatest two minutes in, in sport. What about the last two weeks for you? How much have you relished being part of this journey and slightly crazy circus? It's such a it's such an improbable journey that it, it, you know we we think it's it's an incredible blessing on everybody who's had a chance to to be affiliated with Barber Road. Um, he is he is the most chill, calm, cool horse you could be around. He's got an incredible personality. So every time you know we get nervous, which is quite often, we go by the stall and by the barn, and there's Barber Road just kind of hanging out, playing with a, a jolly ball, and acting like there's nothing going on. A dream and it's been a journey well as you've been hearing so often uh, on this podcast of late it's all about shared ownership that hasn't escaped our friends at Fitzdares, not one bit uh, chief executive will woodhams joins me on the line now uh, will i i quite like the name fits perfectly for your your new filly that you you acquired last week at the at the breeze up sales the tattersall's guineas breeze up is that right it's absolutely correct. Uh, we work with Anthony Bromley, and he was recommended by Francesca Cumani. He's taking a bit of time off broadcasting. And, uh, yeah, they bought the horse last week at Donny, and uh, we're re- I went and had a look at it at Newmarket yesterday. It's a fantastic horse uh, by No Nay Never, and we're really happy to, to get on the train in the shared ownership on the flat. And lest anyone thinks that, that Francesca's actually given up, she hasn't. She is just, she's just taking a little time out to, to have a baby. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I didn't want. I didn't want to set the hairs running there. Um, so, going to be with Charlie Fellows. You you sponsor Charlie Fellows Yard as well. I saw a very impressive picture of them all um, liveried in the in their red jackets on the heath. You, it was a mad, pr- pr- proud moment for you, I should think. Yeah, well, I think so. Yeah, it started. Yeah, it started on Monday. We love Charlie, and obviously, we've. Well, I joked that uh, I asked my marketing team to sponsor Charlie and George, and uh, the, who promptly won the. 2,000, 1,000 guineas, but they got the wrong Charlie and George. And uh, the, uh, <laughs> but Charlie didn't find that very funny. Uh, but yeah, we're very happy to be sponsoring Charlie Fellows. It's all sort of landed at the right time for us. And Charlie's very happy with the horse that'll be with him in a few weeks. But yeah, we're looking, I think we're going live next week with Old Gold Racing, who is sort of powering this all. And yeah, we're going to have about 2,700 owners at £75 a share and and as you know it's important that they actually own the horse so all winnings and all of that stuff will go back to the owners and we just think this is totally the future of racing they'll always get best price with us we're going to try and put on some events for all of the owners um on track which sounds a, a big a big ask but i think race courses are dying 
dying to have uh, large numbers of owners uh, come and attend. And, and we call it the fanification of racing uh, because people really need to get behind horses. And that's, you know, when racing, when you get these big numbers at events, it's because they're there to see, you know, Enable or, uh, you know, or um, Desert Orchid or horses like that that really catch the imagination or having a small share of a horse really gives you skin in the game. And so how is it tied in to, to, the, to their account holding with you or is it not? I mean, we're offering it to old gold racing members first and Fitstairs members first for about 48 hours, and then it's open to anyone. But um, of course, if you open an account with us and bet on the horse, you'll always get the best price. And, you know, I, you know, a couple of ticks, I think at least best price uh, as, as it runs as a two-year-old. And if it gets better and better, um, the, the offers might get a little bit worse. But I think it's really important um, that we offer a standout pricing on that horse. And we don't really mind language trousers taken down because it's it's our horse and it's really about getting people engaged with ownership and really getting uh, you know making racing fun well it is friday and it gives me great pleasure once again to check in with james willoughby for the weekly look at the thoroughbred racing commentary global rankings there's not really any change in the top 10 contrail because he's now been retired a while has just slipped out of the list which leaves golden pal the U.S. sprinter trained by Wesley Ward, bound for Royal Ascot at 10. Nine, a hot rod, Charlie, who did well in the desert over the winter. Eight is Animo for Australia. Seven, very elegant, she won't run in the arc. Uh, six is Euphoria for Japan, who's been slipping down the rankings after a disappointing run. Five, Zaki's about to embark on a couple of important runs and could yet get higher. Uh, four is Nick's go, who's now retired. Three, life is good. When will we see him back perhaps in the Met Mile? Flight line was confirmed for that this week. Two is Nature Strip for Australia. And number one is Golden 60 for Hong Kong, who has got his career back on track and may run in Japan next. Uh, the most significant mover of the week before we talk about the British classics was actually a Japanese horse title holder who has gone up from 37 to 11 right on the fringes of the top 10 James I will hold my hands up and confess that much as I try and keep abreast of all matters uh, Japanese racing because it's so important now title holder is a new one on me and a bit of a new one on the rankings as well yeah he's no new kid on the block himself though I quite agree with you he's had a relatively low profile just because there are so many Japanese horses around now um, and he hasn't yet done it on the international stage but he's won four group races Nick two uh, grade two, two grade ones. Um, lastly, the Tenno Show, one of Japan's most important races. He didn't just win. He won by seven lengths and he beat Deep Bond, who's a horse that's got ties to many European middle distance horses through his exploits uh, at Longchamp uh, as well. So he's a very serious contender now title holder. He hasn't yet got a top notch, absolute top notch uh, rate, rating. His best race rating is 123, whereas normally we're talking around the 130 mark for likes of golden 60 etc but he is now one win away from being in serious contention okay let's talk about the classics last week um and particularly the 2000 guineas because charlie appleby's two three-year-old myling colt stars caribus and native trailer finished first and second in that order they're both creeping their way into a position where another group one win each would probably see them somewhere near the top 10 would it Right, yeah. The, the, the principle of the rankings is this. The rankings, obviously, which sits in the cloud, works automatically. We didn't see the race, and no visual information is incorporated, incorporated in the classifications. But from the point of view of mathematics of probability, the rankings place as native trail still above Kuroiba. So what the rankings is saying, the math is saying, that is that given all horses in the past that had similar profiles as these two fellas, that, that it's more likely 
that we should side still with native trail just because he's got more solid evidence prior to that he's won four from five that was his first defeat uh in group races and whereas Coribus has only run three times that's his first big step up and Coribus performance ratings now he got 122 for that race um, 119 for the autumn stakes and 108 for his second in the royal lodge but if you look at the profile of native trail his best rating of 121 is less than Coroebus, but he's got a 118, a 117, a 115, and a 114. So this is a really interesting exercise for your listeners to see really what how maths kind of enables us to understand how we should compare horses of different profiles against each other. It's not just about looking at the best run or the latest run. It's about considering and weighing those two portfolios against each other. Of course, recency is important obvious reasons because a racehorse's form has got momentum but we need to look at the, at, the, at the evidence and think to ourselves given the probabilities associated with uh, the performance of these two horses which would we side with the computer thinks for now native trail not coribus native trail goes the irish 2000 guineas and coribus to the st james's palace stakes uh, cachet is yet to make the top 100 james 102 yeah. cachet how come I mean, I, I thought it was an extremely weak 1,000 guineas, even on paper, without the disappointments in the race itself. And this is reflected by the rankings. A performance of 115 from Cachet, who did st- sit at number 354 in the world after six tries and one win prior to the 1,000 guineas in group races, and uh, now moves up to only 102. Whether she can progress much further than that, I've got my doubts. Um, so we'll see as the season unfolds where, the, where she sits in the hierarchy. But for now, she hasn't even made the top 100 after winning a classic. We won't know how the, the Chester results really impact on, on this list until the, the rankings computer updates on Tuesday. But what we do know is that this will have been a positive week rankings-wise for Aidan O'Brien, James. It is. And it's about time as well. Uh, world number one and no trainer in history has been at that world number one spot since the rankings started. Uh, now in 2014, which is now eight years ago, O'Brien had a long spell at number one. But the fact is, he's nowhere near as efficient statistically as was once the case. Even his uh, most fervent fans, and let me tell you, there are plenty of those out there um, whose uh, names and addresses uh, have been sent to me on occasions. Um, and uh, he sits at number seven in the world now, but he, he will get a boost and maybe he might pass Chris Waller for six uh, this week. But he's got a lot of work to do because. When you've got horses as good as him and you've got a 12% strike rate in group races, and we even take into account the fact that he runs multiple races, horses in a race, we even let him off for that and give him a boost for the fact. But look at the top trainers, Nick. Charlie Appleby, 25%. Chad Brown, 22%. Bob Baffert, 29%. Brad Cox, 26%. John Gosden, 26%. It makes 12% when you've got the, uh, the horsepower that Aidan O'Brien has got. It puts that into context. And so... At the moment, where he stands in the pantheon is not where he is. For my money, the greatest trainer, of course, of the last 25 years. But rankings reflect recency. And at the moment, with Galileo's horse stock having dwindled, and a reminder of the importance of that horse uh, seen this week at uh, Chester, that stallion seen this week at Chester, the moment, world number seven. But Joseph O'Brien, very much on the up, had an excellent week last week, of course. And Joseph O'Brien, I've long tipped to actually be the biggest riser this year in 2022 by the end of the year. And he's made a decent start by winning the pre-Ganet. 
with State of Rest, who is actually getting quite high up the list now at 25 because he's won a Cox Plate, he's won a Pre-Ganning, yeah. he's won a, a, a very good race in New York as well. And he, the, yeah. the thing about State of Rest from a rankings point of view, James, is we can expect him to, to be seeing quite a lot of action. Yeah, and he, he really helps us, doesn't he? Because he, he, he brings together American form, Australian form, European form quite nicely. And so we're very confident of his ranking, which is at the moment, which is around 25, but could be higher. He's three from six in group races, but his best performances have been his most recent performances. State of rest, very, very interesting horse for the rest of the campaign internationally. And talking of uh, international racing, I'm in Kentucky this week, as you know, and we're going to have a look at how they sit as, as regards the Kentucky yeah. Derby. Uh, Epicenter is is the, the highest ranked contender so far. I say at 33, James, that's, that's, that's quite high going into a Kentucky Derby. It's not bad at all, Nick, is it? No, and that's because he's been really convincing in the Louisiana Derby and the prep race for that race and now sits at world number 33, as you say, seven places ahead of the Florida Derby winner, White Barrio, who's something of a one-hit wonder, but what a hit it was. And if you can build on that, he's a, a decent contender. Then we go down to the Bluegrass winner, Zandon at 68, further down to Mo Donegal. But the favourite, although the presumed, well, actually, Epicenter may well go off there, but, but, or, or Zandon, but Tiber, who I think is a very popular horse, is very difficult for the rankings to assess off just two really impressive performances. Lastly, of course, that Santa Anita Derby. He's at 129. Uh, and he's ahead of Mess home that day, who's at 182. Now, that Santa Anita derby, should uh, Tiber go in at Churchill Downs, will get a significant boost. At the moment, I think the rankings are pretty low on that particular race compared to where it could sit. So, in short, what I'm saying here is that Epicenter is our highest-ranked horse. That's the horse TRC rankings think has got the best chance of winning this particular race. But as you, it is wide open in terms of horses going to step up. This is not a year where we're simply looking for confirmation of the two-year-old order, is it? It's where we're just basically sitting back and we're going to watch this race and probably, hopefully, one or two horses will draw clear and then we've got something to get excited about. Yeah, um, some, some interesting stories. I mean, Steve Asmussen, trainer of Epicenter, Chad Brown, trainer of Zandon, both looking for their first victories in the race. Uh, White Barrio trained by Safi Joseph, former um, Barbados champion trainer. Uh, Mo Donegal, you heard the story a little earlier on in the show. He's he's by Uncle Mo, and um, Mike Rapoli was telling you on yesterday's podcast uh, how important that would be to him. Simplification um, trainer Antonio Sano has has had Gunavera run very well in the race before, and then of course you've got the 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 two ex Baffets now non Baffets, the two Yak teens, Messier and yeah. Tabor. James, all of that goes to perhaps explain why Plenty are, are siding with a, another another. Huge performance from Japan in the Kentucky Derby, courtesy of, of Crown Pride, who sits at 259 in the rankings, yeah. which didn't love that UAE Derby. Summer is tomorrow, will reoppose the UAE Derby second. No, definitely did, did not. No, Crown Pride is currently the world number 259. Now, the rankings taking a very dim view of that particular race, um, although some really excellent analysts uh, are taking the opposite view. So it'll be interesting to see where Crown Pride helps us to. Uh, tie all those threads together in terms of a performance rating well you know like what the horse actually did in the race I think I don't know it requires a good deal of projection as far as I can tell to see him winning a Kentucky Derby but who would oppose anything that the Japanese sent on the international trail of the moment we ranked the UAE Derby 113 the racing post 112 
and you're going to have to bust 120 to win this particular race. That's about where the average winner sits. And we can expect whoever does win this race to occupy a place on the fringe of the top 10. And then with what happens in the Preakness and the Belmont after that, that'll help us gain further definition. But at the moment, I would describe the US crop as having a lot of potential, but no clear leader. Okay, thank you to all my guests today. Lydia is still with me. Uh, just a little bit of news that's come in. The Revenant, um, Francis Graffard's Miling Stable Star, is out of the lock-in stakes. Could just thin out a little bit and leave Baid with a, a nice, yeah. nice cosy canter for, for his first group one of the season, Lydia. Yeah, I mean, Mother Earth, will, you know, and hopefully she will go there. You would expect her to. She will pr- pr- prove a, a good enough opposition. I mean, she is a multiple group one winner, so, you know, um, she's she's not a pushover, but yes. Uh, other than that, the opposition seems to be falling away from Baid, who's so exciting this season. Um, there's alcohol free, but she she is really going to have to leave behind that run in the uh, Bet three six five mile at Sandown um, because she she drifted very ominously um, and she ran appallingly. And you have got a tip today in the Chester Cup. I have, yes. I really, really fancy Solent Gateway. Um, when he finished third behind Going Gone in the in the Great Metropolitan um, last month at, at Epsom, I was just thinking, well, you know, longer distances, uh, what, what's the obvious next race? And then, you know, clearly it was going to be the Chester Cup because he's got form around Chester. He's won over two miles there. I think he's very progressive. Um, Hugo Palmer is, is already delivering. And I mean, the whole of the, of the focus of that operation um, the operation that he has now taken the helm of as, as trainer is about, about Chester in particular. And I think Solent Gateway can win the Chester Cup for them. So that is Solent Gateway in the 315 at Chester today. Excellent. Lydia, thank you very much. Thank you very much for listening. That was Friday the 6th of May. I will be back with you on Monday morning. I'm not quite sure where exactly I will be, but I will be back with you on uh, Monday morning. Have a great weekend. Hopefully you'll enjoy the Kentucky Derby. If you're watching in the UK, you can watch it on Sky Sports Racing and it'll be just before midnight Saturday and it's the Kentucky Oaks this evening, of course, as well. And don't forget all the good stuff at home, the Derby trial at Leopardstown and, uh, and the Lingfield Classic trial. And of course, uh, all the racing from York next week to look forward to. So uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.